another edition, a week five edition of the College Football Betting Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is ready for what should be a really fun week five slate in college football. Obviously, last week it was incredible. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida State, all of those big games. By the way, hope you followed our official picks. We went seven and one overall in our official picks. Now, granted, we did get a little bit lucky with that Florida State cover and the under, but sometimes you just get lucky. Week five, though, is going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome slate, and I am so excited to break it all down. Kentucky hosting Florida, AM Arkansas and Jerry World, LSU at Ole Miss, Colorado hosting USC. So many big games. We're going to get to all of them in a minute. Before we get started, quick reminder, make sure you are subscribed to the College Football Betting Podcast page, uh, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts, College Football Betting. You could also, of course, leave a rating and review a quick five stars really would help this this show grow and kind of move up the charts. And oh, by the way, we have the College Football Betting YouTube page as well, available on YouTube, separate from the Aaron Torres pod page. Uh, So make sure to find College Football Betting on YouTube. Before we get started, we do have one other major announcement. That's this. The College Football Betting Pod, along with the Aaron Torres pod, and all things Aaron Torres Media, we have partnered with DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, and here is why. It is because on Thursday, this lovely, glorious, beautiful day that you are listening to this podcast, legal sports betting has come to the state of Kentucky. That is right. I've been to Kentucky. I love Kentucky. And I am so happy that everybody in Kentucky can now legally make your wagers and make sure when you do it, you do it with the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's the part that's cool, though. It's not just that DraftKings is a partner of ours. They are giving listeners of this show an awesome exclusive offer. This is what you got to do. Take advantage. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Before you make your first bet, if you're a first-time user, use promo code TORRES, T-O-R-R-E-S, TORRES, and you get $200 in bonus bets after making your first bet for as little as $5. So download the app, promo code TORRES, bet $5, get $200 in bonus bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Cannot tell you how excited I am to partner with DraftKings. Think it is going to be great and awesome and fun for us going forward. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, promo code TORRES, bet $5, get 200 in free bets. Let's start in on the week five slate. And I'll tell you what, let's start, speaking of which, with the beautiful state of Kentucky. Kentucky hosting Florida, Kentucky opened as a two and a half point favorite. It's down to about a point now over under set at 44, but it is wild how quickly this rivalry has turned in the Wildcats favor. The fact that they are favored after years and years and years of misery. What was it about 30 years that Kentucky went without winning? Then they win in the swamp. I believe it was 20. What was it? 2018. I believe of course, three seasons ago, they win in Lexington last year. They win in the swamp. Now, They are going for a three-game winning streak on Saturday at home. When I look at this game, I think a couple things stand out. First of all, for those of you who haven't watched Kentucky much this year, these ain't your grandpa's Kentucky Wildcats, okay? This is a team that, while they still play very good defense, they are a much more explosive offense. This is a team that is averaging 38 points per game through four games, took care of business in the out-of-conference 3-0, and then put up 45 at Vanderbilt last week, second 40-point performance of the year. 
Devin Leary is in at quarterback. Ray Davis, a former Vanderbilt running back, has transferred in as well. And Kentucky, believe it or not, has one of the better wide receiver cores with uh, Barry and Brown, Dane Key, and others. Florida, on the other hand, and this is the interesting part. Florida, they kind of play more like Kentucky than Kentucky does, right? For, for years with this Kentucky Wildcats team, Mark Stoops, it was ground and pound, control the clock, run the football. Now it's kind of Florida who does that as well. Kentucky's the one airing it out. Florida's the one, if you watch that Tennessee game a few weeks ago, this is a team that, that wants to control the clock, wants to be in control. Again, that Tennessee game, they fall down 7 nothing, but they build back. They have a 20, what was it, 26-7 to lead at halftime, if I remember correctly. And then the second half, they just basically sat on the ball, chewed up the clock, kept that Tennessee offense off the field. They only had to score three points, and they ended up still beating Tennessee 29-10, to or 29-16, I think, was the final score. Regardless. Two completely different teams, different than you expect. Kentucky's the high-powered offense. Florida's the ground and pound. So the question now becomes, can Florida improve to 2-0 in the SEC, or will it be Kentucky? Again, all the money appears to be coming in on Florida. Florida was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Now they're down to one. I'll be blunt. In this game, I actually like the Kentucky Wildcats, and let me explain why. There's really three reasons why. One, first of all, I, I think there's a little bit too much like pro Florida buzz right now, right? College football is the craziest sport because we know the narrative on Florida. They lose at Utah, a good team that is now four and zero as we speak. And it is Sunbelt Billy broke down. Billy, Billy Napier is the worst thing that ever happened. It's never going to work. Then they have a, a quiet game against McNeese state. Then they beat Tennessee in a game that, you know, they, they just kind of, like I said, sat on the ball, chewed up the clock and found a way to win. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, Florida, they're really dangerous. They're on the way up. The recruiting's good. Give Billy Napier time. It's like we went from A to Z very quickly with Florida. And I think they're good. But listen, this is a developing program. And it's a program that very much still has a lot of work to do. I don't think this is the way Billy Napier wants to play. But because of the pieces left by Dan Mullen, because of the fact that, that rec these recruiting classes are slowly starting to trickle in, Florida currently has the number three class in 2024. This is a process, and this is not a very talented Florida team. And I think everybody's overhyping them based on one win over Tennessee. Remember, they have not lost to Tennessee since 2003. So it just feels weird how much buzz is coming in on Florida. Conversely, I know that Kentucky, they haven't been perfect early on. Devin Leary's not completing a high enough completion percentage. But what really stands out to me as I said a minute ago, Florida plays more like Kentucky than they play like Kentucky did six, seven years ago. What's wild to me, I think for the first time that I can ever remember in this series, Kentucky's just got better dudes across the board. And I know that some Kentucky fans would say, well, what about last year? Florida stunk last year, six and seven. We didn't have a great year, but we were better than them. What I would say is Anthony Richardson in week two last year at least felt like an equalizer coming in. He was coming off that big Utah game. We didn't know at the time how much he was going to struggle passing. But I only bring it up because this year, just think about it. Which quarterback would you rather have? Graham Mertz on the road or Devin Leary at home? I'd rather have Devin Leary. But then you look at the skill position guys. Ray Davis, as I said, a 1,000-yard rusher a year ago at Vanderbilt. But Barry and Brown was a top 100 prospect out of Nashville. Dane Key, uh, a really good four-star wide receiver out of Kentucky. 
And those are the kinds of guys. Like, those are two NFL wide receivers. And if you remember, we talked about this in the offseason. In the NFL draft last year, oh, Will Levis didn't have any NFL wide receivers. Uh, yeah, he did. They were just really young. And that's what stands out to me. These guys look like the dudes that Florida used to have, only now they're playing at Kentucky. Those two wide receivers I mentioned, they combined for eight catches, 150 yards. We saw the little head pat from Dane Key after a touchdown catch. So I just bring it up because I think Kentucky just has the better players. And this is what happens, by the way, when you have stability, when you have a program with a coach with a plan, when you have seven, eight, nine years of the same voice, as opposed to Florida, which has been through, what, four coaches in the last eight, nine years, whatever it's been, you know, Muschamp to, to McElwain to Mullen to, to, to Napier. Like, this is what happens. I think Kentucky has better players. And finally, you don't need to worry about that home field advantage. Did you see what Mark Stoops said prior to this game? He was asked about the crowd noise for a noon Eastern kickoff at Kentucky. He said, I have faith in my fan base that they will drink lots of beers and be very loud. I think he didn't say the loud part, but I think the insinuation was if they drink enough beer, they're going to be plenty loud when they come to the game. And so I look at this game and I'll be blunt. I do like Kentucky to win at home. I'll say a final score, like what? 20 third, we'll say 31 to 20. I, you know, I, I could see it being a little bit lower scoring, a little bit higher scoring. I'm going to stay away from the over under 44, but I do like Kentucky to win outright. I do like them to cover the one point. Take Kentucky for a third straight win in this series. Let's switch gears to just another bananas rivalry in the SEC. Dates back many, many, many years to the Southwest Conference. I am, of course, talking about the Southwest Classic between Texas A&M and Arkansas. Texas A&M enters this one as a six and a half point favorite. The over/under set at fifty-three and a half. And let me tell you this. Couple things stand out. Uh, you know, before I get into all the craziness, it is worth noting we did get an update on Texas AM starter Connor Wigman on Wednesday morning. It was not good. He hurt his foot and he is going to be out for the year. Just a bummer. Former five star. You never root against anybody with injuries. But the good news is Connor Wigman went out at halftime last week against a, uh, Auburn, and Max Johnson is a more than capable replacement. Remember, this was a guy that transferred to Texas AM from LSU was the starter at LSU and Coach O's final year there. So this is a guy with big game experience, and he looked really, really, really good uh, for AM when he was forced in as a backup a week ago. Still, though, what I need to discuss is this. This series, I think it is amongst, if not if it's not the craziest rivalry that most college football fans don't realize is bananas, it is in the very short conversation, okay? So I looked it up because I was like, in my head, I'm like, every year this, this game seems to be crazy and down to the wire. Is that actually true? Well, I looked it up, and the answer is absolutely yes, okay? So I looked it up, and I know, I said looked it up 37 times, forgive me, but <laughs> went back and checked, okay? And of the last 10 times that these two teams have played, the last 10 times, six of them have been decided by a touchdown or less. Three have gone to overtime. Somebody tweeted at me a stat. I don't even know if it's true, but it sounds true. That since AM got to the SEC 11 years ago, there have been five times where they entered the fourth quarter trailing by a touchdown or more. And four out of five times, they ended up winning the game outright. So it talks to how crazy this rivalry is. But then on the field, I will be absolutely fascinated, right? Because you have an AM team. That is coming off an SEC opening win over Auburn. And I'll tell you, if they win this game, 
They really have some momentum going into next week against Alabama. If they lose, it's devastating. And then Arkansas, they're two and two. I don't think they're quite as bad as people think. And so when I look at this game, a couple things stand out. The first with AM, I just talked about it with Florida and Kentucky. I kind of feel like, are we not giving like like AM? I feel like the hype is like a little too much coming out of the Auburn game. Okay. I don't think it's like hype, like, oh, it's Texas hype or USC hype or Colorado hype or whatever. But AM was up six to three at the half against Auburn. Peyton Thorne missed three, four, five wide open wide receivers. And so I bring it up because they were only up six to three. They easily could have trailed. And then Max Johnson comes in and he's pretty good. They build a lead and they run away with the game. But I just sit there and say, are they as good as everybody like thinks they are? Because it felt like, you know, A&M, we've just criticized, 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 criticized for multiple weeks at a time here, multiple years at a time. And all of a sudden they take care of an Auburn team that doesn't have a starting quarterback that is very, not, let's be blunt, not very talented. I don't blame Hugh Freeze for that, but Brian Harson basically stopped recruiting for two years. They didn't have a quarterback. And oh, by the way, it was like 120 degrees on the field in College Station last week. So AM ran away with that game. That's what you're supposed to do in year six under Jimbo Fisher. Run away with that game, get that victory, dominate, and get ready for this game. So is AM as good as everybody thinks? I don't know. And then with Arkansas, I keep going back to the same thing with Arkansas. If you listen to last week's show, and I did a standalone segment on YouTube, I don't think Arkansas is as bad as the 2-2 two and two record would indicate. What I do think is they're ranked 126 nationally in penalties, and they need to clean it up. Remember, two weeks ago, we talked about this. Against BYU, they outgained BYU by over 100 yards. But it was 14 penalties at home that killed them and why they lost the game. Now, last week, they went up against a legitimately awesome LSU offense on the road. And they basically went play for play with them the entire game. Arkansas had the lead at the half. They were in control for large stretches. They did have, a, but, but what happened? They had 11 penalties and ended up losing that game in the final minute. KJ Jefferson, by the way, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody talks about this kid. This kid's been awesome for like four straight years. 71% completion percentage. The run game right now is not what you would expect from a Sam Pittman coach team in large part because of the fact that obviously Rocket Sanders is hurt. The O-line's not playing well. But what 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 uh, KJ Jefferson is doing this season is, again, very impressive. And he just doesn't seem to get enough credit for it. But on the year, he's completing 71% of his passes, nine touchdowns, 918 yards, and was phenomenal against LSU, 21 of 31, just under three, uh, uh, 300 yards. Obviously, he did have two interceptions, but I just bring it up because he's playing good football. Arkansas is not that far away. And so when I see this spread as six and a half, I sit there and say, this feels like another Southwest classic down to the wire nail biter. I think Arkansas is the better quarterback, respectful to Max Johnson. But listen, Max Johnson was good early, but again, he was going up against a weak Auburn defense at home. They wore down in the second half because they just don't have enough bodies. And I'm just not sold like that. He is the guy that everybody is trying to make him out to be. Arkansas is the better quarterback. Arkansas has been moving the ball on everybody. And all they got to do is clean up the penalties a little bit. Now, can I pick Arkansas to win this game outright? I'm sorry for Hogs fans. I don't know that I can. The truth is this is just a game that is always tight, always contentious. 
Unfortunately, it always seems to break the wrong way for Arkansas. So give me a close game. I'll say 31-30 A&M wins. But I do think Arkansas covering is the right side on this bet. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the other games in the SEC, LSU Ole Miss. And then, of course, we will hit on some of the other marquee games across the rest of college football. Got to talk to Colorado Buffaloes against USC, uh, Texas, Kansas, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame and Duke. A lot more show left. We'll take a quick break and be right back. All right, everybody. Hi, back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Uh, let's keep it going with the week five preview. And it's interesting because I just previewed two big SEC games this weekend Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas, and at Cherry World. I didn't even get to the big top 25 matchup in the SEC West as the LSU Tigers traveled to Ole Miss to take on Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. LSU was a two point favorite to open, it is now up to two and a half. And how about this? The over-under jumping from 63-and-a-half all the way up to 67-and-a-half as we uh, as the week goes on. So let's get into it. And to me, this, this might be the most interesting game on the slate because I don't really know what to make of both of these teams. And bluntly, I actually think that both of them in, in their own way are a little bit overvalued. Now, from the LSU perspective, we just talked about it because they played Arkansas last week. We did our Arkansas AM preview. But look, I think LSU is a good team. But what strikes me when I watch them, LSU at its absolute best in their national championship years and the best teams that they've had, they're special across the board. Special on offense, special on defense, special at the wide receiver, secondary, defensive line, linebacker, whatever. And I get this isn't Brian Kelly's fault. I get that he inherited a roster with 39 scholarship players two years ago. And so to be clear, if you're an LSU fan, I am not blaming Brian Kelly in any way, shape, or form. I don't see special across the board with LSU. Now on offense, I think they're really good. Jaden Daniels is phenomenal. This offense is rolling. This is the number one offense actually in the SEC right now, averaging over 500 yards per game on offense. Jaden Daniels, as I said, phenomenal. Over 1,000 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been great. And the one place that I do see special, the one place that the previous coaching staff hit on, that wide receiver room is special. Malik Neighbors, 239 yards two weeks ago against Mississippi State. But then on the flip side, Brian Thomas, you know, Arkansas last week tries to take away Malik Neighbors. Brian Thomas has 133 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So I love what LSU is offensively. I still think defensively, though, they're a work in progress. And I think that's where you start to see the lack of bodies that were left over when Brian Kelly took over. I think that's where you're starting to see the effects, right? A few weeks ago, Florida State, listen, I'm not going to hold too much against that Florida State game. It was week one, whatever. I also think Florida State at full strength, and I don't think Jordan Travis was 100% in that Clemson game. I think Florida State at full strength is the best team in college football. They're the best team that I have seen all phases of the game, offense, defense, special team, size, speed. But then again, last week, 31 points allowed to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas is good. Arkansas has got good quarterback play. But if you are an SEC West contender, if you are an SEC contender, if you are a team that wants to win out and make the playoff, you got to be better on defense. And that's why this game is interesting. 
because one LSU is flawed, two Ole Miss is flawed, but I didn't even mention this. There's so much at stake for both these teams, right? If LSU loses this game, second loss before September, this was a team that some picked to make the college football playoff. Ole Miss, meanwhile, lost at Alabama last week, so this would be their second SEC loss. At least if LSU lost this game, they'd still be in the West picture. Ole Miss would be completely out of it. And so let's get to Ole Miss because, like I said with LSU, I think everybody liked LSU, but now you're starting to see flaws. It's the same with Ole Miss. And listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, and maybe I'll be wrong come Monday on this game. I'm underwhelmed by this offense. And that sounds crazy. doesn't sound as crazy as last week, but I told you last week that Ole Miss-Alabama game. I said, take the under in that game. I don't trust this offense. Because you see the cross the board, cross the season stats, and coming into last week, Ole Miss was number four in the country in scoring, number 11 in total offense. But I said, look at how these games are playing out. When they played at Tulane, it was 17-17 going into the fourth quarter, and they put up a bunch of points, and it got out of hand. And when they played Georgia Tech at home the week before Alabama, that was a game that was 17-3, to and they scored a bunch of points late, ended up with 48 total, and so the numbers were skewed. And so what we saw at Alabama was when they go up against elite defensive personnel, and I do think Alabama's probably the best defense in the SEC. I mean, maybe Georgia's a little bit better. Um, Alabama's elite, though. But look at what Ole Miss did last week. 10 total points. They scored a touchdown on their first possession, and they did not find the end zone. And so when I look at this Ole Miss team, I've never trusted them, even going back to the offseason. I remember talking about this in the preseason. I said if Lane Kiffin trusted Jackson Dart, why did he go get not one, but two transfer quarterbacks out of the portal? Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, and of course Walker Howard from LSU, ironically enough. And so when I look at this Ole Miss team, I'm not convinced. And it's been interesting this week because I think there's been some narratives that have come out about Ole Miss against nine win teams. And just out of curiosity, even before I saw that stat, I went and looked it up. Ole Miss last year went eight and five. They're three and one this year. But if you look at who they've beaten, it's kind of a who's who of eh, who's who of eh. what am I talking about? Here's who they beat last year. They beat Central Arkansas, Troy. Tulsa, they beat Kentucky, they beat AM, they beat Auburn, and they beat Vanderbilt last year. Am I missing one team? I might be missing one team. Let me see if I'm missing one on Ole Miss. Let me double check on that last year. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. So four out of conference, and then in conference, Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn, AM. So to be clear, last year, their eight wins, three came against schools that ultimately fired their coaches. Tulsa, Georgia Tech, and Auburn, the worst AM team pretty much of this century, and also a Kentucky team that largely disappointed. This year, their three wins were against Tulane with a backup quarterback, Mercer, and Georgia Tech. And so I'm just not sold on Ole Miss. I don't believe in them. And I think this is a game that they probably lose. Now, I don't love taking road underdogs, and I don't totally trust LSU, or I don't love taking road favorites, and I don't totally trust LSU. So what I'm going to do here is a little bit different. I'm actually going to take the under in this game. I just think everybody is totally overvaluing this LA, this Ole Miss offense. And I, I think the defense isn't as bad as people think, but I don't think they're just going to march up and down the field, even against an LSU defense that I have questions about. So give me a 31 to 24 LSU win. But I think the smart play here is the under. I think it goes way under. I think LSU wins, but rather than taking LSU as the road favorite, I'll go ahead and just take the under. Let's get out of SEC country. Enough SEC talk. Let's go all the way out west. 
Yes, I am going to talk about the game that America, you know, you either love them or you hate them. I'm, of course, talking about the Colorado Buffaloes. They are hosting the USC Trojans. Colorado, of course, is a 21.5-point underdog. USC, a 21.5-point favorite. The over-under at 73.5. And And what's interesting about this game, first of all, we'll talk about Colorado's last week in a minute. But one, this actually opened as around a four-touchdown USC as a favorite. So it's actually been bet down significantly. But when it opened, it was off of what happened last week. And everybody watched the game. You don't need me to tell you. Colorado got curb stomped in Eugene, right? 42 to 6 was the final score. 35 to nothing at halftime. Oh, by the way, uh, the stat I keep throwing out, Oregon had more touchdowns in the first half five than, than Colorado had first downs four. So I bring it up because it was ugly for Colorado. What I don't think enough people paid attention to, although the narrative is starting to get out this week, USC does not look good. USC does not look – well, I take that back. USC's offense is awesome because they got a guy named Caleb Williams who is just so, so, so special. And it's like – you know, I will say this. Like sometimes in life – sometimes in life, like there's narratives that get a little bit overblown. And like sometimes you, you watch a player, like is he really as good as everybody thinks? Oh, yeah, Caleb Williams is as good as everybody thinks. Last week against Arizona State, he was unbelievable. 21, what were they? What was he? 20, I'm trying to find the stats here. 322 yards passing, three touchdowns. And on the season, how about this? These are incredible stats. 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he's averaging 300 yards, three and a half touchdowns, zero interceptions per game. That's not bad. What is bad though? That USC defense. Yeah, you knew I was going to go there, but I have to go there because it is just abysmal. That USC defense was bad on Saturday against a bad Arizona State team. Remember, Arizona State got shut out by Fresno State at home two weeks before. And now they play USC. USC gives up over 300 yards of total offense. Drew Pine has over 200 yards passing, and the the, the starting running back had over 100 yards rushing. And so when I watched USC on Saturday, You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of last year when Caleb Williams had to bail out USC and USC's defense time and time and time again. That is why he won the Heisman Trophy. It was not only because he was phenomenal. It was not only because the stats were great. It was because they needed him to be great every week. And some thought USC was past that. Now, I said all offseason, I said, I get that they they got two uh, 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 SEC defensive linemen on the transfer portal. Bear Alexander from Georgia, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. I said the great teams have seven, eight, nine of those guys. USC has two. And I was I never understood why everybody was so quick to assume that USC had figured out the defensive side of the ball based on their early season competition. Nevada, who they beat in week one by technicality, they played San Jose State in week zero. Nevada, who they beat in week one, might be the worst team in in uh, uh, FBS football. 0-4 got stomped by an FCS team. And then uh, USC also beat Stanford, which might be the best, po- the worst Power 5 team in college football. They lost a million transfers after David Shaw retired. Wink, wink, if you know what I mean, last year. So I was never sold on USC. And I'll say this about this game. I don't know if Colorado can win. But I think they can keep it competitive. A few things stand out here. One, as bad as it looked for Colorado last week, let's keep in mind a few things. It was really bad. I'm not going to say it wasn't. The offensive line is a mess. But remember, it was 13-0, and they got a stop. And that was when 
Oregon ran the fake punt with inside their, within their 20, excuse me, for the first down. They don't run that fake punt. Colorado gets the ball back late in the first quarter, down 13 nothing, with a chance to cut into that lead. Let's also remember, after half, the score was 7-6. to six. Now, you could say that Oregon took its foot off the gas, but I thought Colorado got used to the size and the speed of the game, even if they were clearly outmatched. Not to discredit Oregon, they're awesome. That's just my personal opinion. Two, the circumstances in this game are much more in Colorado's favor. They're at home. We've seen how those crowds get for for home games in Boulder. We saw it with Nebraska a few weeks ago. We saw it with Colorado State a few weeks ago. That place is going to be electric. And then from the USC perspective, remember as well, they played a 10.30 Eastern time kickoff last Saturday, 7.30 Pacific. It ended after 11 Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. I know that because I host Fox Sports Radio until 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific. I got off air. The game was still going on. So let's do some mental math here. That game ends probably about 11.15, 11.20 local time. Another hour to shower, do media. Another half hour to the airport. They're probably not getting to the airport till 1 a.m. They're probably not landing till 2.15, 2.20, 2.30. They're probably not getting back to their dorms till about 4 o'clock in the morning. Now they got to turn around and play a 10 a.m. local time game in Boulder? No, thank you. Finally, I'll say this. It is about the defense. And the thing about USC, it's not good. But the other thing is this. Colorado has quietly played some really good defenses. We're about to talk about Nebraska. Nebraska's defense is really good. Colorado moved the ball on them. Um, Colorado State. I know we make fun of Jay Norvell because of some of the dumb stuff he said. Their defense is legit. And then finally, uh, even TCU has played pretty good defense outside of that Colorado game. USC is the 77th ranked run defense. Every single team that Colorado has played is in the top 35 in run defense. So I think they're able to move the ball a little bit on the ground, but I bring it up because I think Colorado can do enough to keep it close. I would not bet the money line, but if you're asking me, can they cover three touchdowns and change? I think they can cover three touchdowns in the hook. Give me Colorado to cover USC to win outright. I think this one's close. I think this one's competitive. And I think Lincoln Riley gets his pants pulled down a little bit, which sounds weirdly and wildly inappropriate but I think there's a chance that it's close and competitive into the fourth quarter. Really quickly, let's do one more game. We'll take a quick break and we'll wrap on some of the other ones. Um, let's go out to the heartland. Big 10 country. And by the way, you spe- you, you want to know how big this Colorado thing has gotten? The fact that Nebraska-Michigan, two big-time brands in college football, get bumped to the 3.30 Eastern time slot on Fox. It shows you how big this Colorado thing has gotten that they chose Colorado USC. Now, admittedly, Caleb Williams is in that game over Michigan, Nebraska. Anyway, enough about that. Michigan, a 17 point favorite in this game. How about this? How about this? The over under set at 39 points. Insanity. Insanity. I tell you people insanity. Okay. So let's get into the preview. And let me say this 39 points is the over under. It's going to be low scoring. I agree with Vegas a thousand percent on this. Um, Michigan. Listen, Michigan, we can criticize the early season schedule. Defensively, they have been every bit as good as advertised. Now, look, I understand the schedule. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers. Not exactly, uh, you know, what, what even Colorado has had to deal with early in the season. But at the same time, when you win those four games, 30-3, to 35-7, to 31-6, to 31-7, without breaking a sweat, that's still very, very, very impressive from the Michigan perspective. Defense is as good as advertised. What's interesting is the offense has been okay 
I wouldn't call it great though. I wouldn't call it great. JJ McCarthy, obviously a few weeks ago had that three touchdown game overall, they're moving the ball, but not at the level that they have in the past 405 yards per game, 61st nationally. That's not very good when you think about the competition. And I do think McCarthy has been a little bit loose with the ball, not just the three interceptions, but there were two or three throws against Rutgers last week that easily could have picked off that weren't. And I still think what J.J. McCarthy goes back to last year's college football playoff against TCU feels like sometimes he gets too cute, too fun too this, too that. And I'm just like, I don't know if I like how he operates sometimes. So I'm not sold on J.J. McCarthy. The other thing that's interesting about the Michigan offense, anyone besides me see Jim Harbaugh's comments about the running back room this week? He was basically asked about the running back room. And what he said was, you know, he kind of sees himself as a father figure. And he doesn't want to overuse his running backs. He point blank said, Blake Corum, I told him he should go to the NFL. He decided to come back. Donovan Edwards, who was a thousand yard rusher last year, really hasn't gotten going. And so I bring it up because they're going up against a Nebraska defense, which is really good. And I know the last time we saw Nebraska, Jeff Sims was fumbling the ball all over the field and we didn't know what was going on and what, what the heck is up with that team. But at the same time, this Nebraska defense has been really good all season long. Take out the Colorado game where they kept giving the ball back to Colorado. These are the point totals that they've given up. Let me make sure I have this correct. Colorado has given up, or Nebraska has given up 10 points, 11 points, and 14 points in their three games this season. I actually need to double check that. It's not 10. It is, let me correct that there. It is 13, 11, and 14. Okay, so take out the Colorado game. They've given up 13, 11, and 14. And do you know that Nebraska right now has the number two rush defense in all of college football? And that was what stood out to me watching that Colorado game a few weeks ago. They are so much more fundamentally sound on defense than they've been. Offensively, don't tell anybody. Be quiet. Little whisper there. You understand with Colorado or with Nebraska, I keep calling them Colorado. They're Nebraska, the Cornhuskers. They made, I don't know if they made a, a quarterback change. Jeff Sims has been banged up, but they've gone with Heinrich Harburg uh, over the last two games. He has been exactly what Matt Rule needs from that quarterback position. He's averaged about 125 yards rushing in the two games, 98 yards two weeks ago, over 100 yards, about 150 yards, to be honest, last week. And you add him in with Anthony Grant. That's a really good one-two punch. By the way, Anthony Grant, the Nebraska running back, not the former Alabama basketball coach. So when I look at this game, Nebraska's run game or run defense is phenomenal. Jim Harbaugh always plays it close to the vest on the road. And I think Nebraska can score enough to keep this competitive. Now, am I picking Nebraska to win outright? I can't do it. But if you told me this game was 13-10 going into the fourth quarter, I'd absolutely believe it. To me, that under is a little bit too low, but the 17 points I get with Nebraska, that is a bet that I like. That's one of my best bets of the week. Take Nebraska plus 17. That's what we're going to do. Take a quick break, come back, and we're just going to rip through the rest of the games. Duke-Notre Dame. Texas, Kansas, Tennessee, South Carolina. There's a couple other big ones. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I'll tell you what, we probably didn't need to break right there, but I do quickly want to rip through just the rest of these games. Not going to spend a ton of time on any of these because I don't really think I'll, I'll, I'll probably 
be too heavily invested, if you know what I mean, on any of these games. One game that I will be, though, how about this? You know college football is getting a little quirky. When we have a top 25 matchup between Kansas and Texas on the football field, Texas, of course, they, you know, they're the bell of the ball right now. They're 4-0. They won at Alabama. They are hosting the Kansas Jayhawks, who are also 4-0. Texas was a 17.5-point favorite. It is now down to 16.5 points. The over-under set at 61. And again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but listen, let's give credit to the Kansas freaking Jayhawks, baby. That's right. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Uh, because what, what, what Lance Leipold has done there is unbelievable. And what they have done is really put together a team that can put the football in the end zone. For years, this was one of the, the worst teams in all of college football. Look at these stats. Top 25 offense nationally. 48 points in their opener, 34 against Illinois, 31 against Nevada, 38 last week in a nine-point win over BYU. So this was a team that went 6-6, six and six, went to a bowl game last year, built some momentum. Now they're 4-0 and going into this Texas game. And what stands out to me from the Texas perspective is two things. One, listen, Texas is the better team. I'm not going to pretend, and this isn't an anti-Texas, oh my God, is Texas back? Are they not back? What? Like, I'm not going to make fun of Texas. They're a great football team. That win over Alabama was incredible. But what I think is interesting and worth noting here is two things with Texas. One, believe it or not, this is by far the best offense that they will have seen so far this season. The ranks of the teams that they played, they played Rice in week one. Rice is currently ranked 60th in total offense. Alabama in week two. Alabama is ranked 89th right now nationally in total offense. Wyoming, they are ranked 126th and Baylor 67th. Kansas is ranked 25th. So Kansas can move the ball. And I think Kansas is going to put more pressure on this defense than anyone that Texas has played so far. And it's also worth noting from the Texas perspective, this game falls on a very interesting spot on the calendar. Last week, road game at Baylor. They want to prove a point. They take care of business. Next week, you know who they play next week? A little team called Oklahoma in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl in the uh, Red River rivalry, Red River shootout. We can call it the shootout here on this show. And so when I look at this game, Kansas can move the ball. Kansas can score points. And Texas has the biggest remaining game on its schedule next week. Feels like a little bit of a look ahead. Feels like Texas, maybe that defense not quite ready. This is one game that I will be betting. I do like Kansas plus the points, plus 16 and a half. You can buy the half the point if it'll make you feel better. I think Kansas keeps this close, potentially into the fourth quarter. I will take Texas to win, but I like Kansas to cover the spread here at 16 and a half. Let's go back to the SEC. Uh, how about this one? You want to talk about, listen, there are times lines to me just make no sense. And the Deep South's oldest rival, Georgia at Auburn, Georgia is only a 14 and a half point favorite over under 45 and a half in this game. And I'm sure some would sit there and say 14 and a half for a road team in the SEC is an astronomical number. And in many ways it is. On the other hand, Auburn is not good. And we talked about it earlier in the show when we talked about Texas A&M. This isn't a criticism of Hugh Freeze. He's going to figure it out there. But right now, that team does not have very much talent because Brian Harson basically stopped recruiting for two years. Peyton Thorne struggled against Texas A&M. Robbie Ashford came in at quarterback. But Robbie Ashford is much more of a runner than he is a passer. 
And so now you're playing this Georgia team that I think Georgia, listen, I, I, you know, I know they really haven't been on a national stage, but this is still a top 20 defense nationally. This is still a defense that has really been fine all season long, giving up 11 points per game through four games through a quarter of their schedule. And so I know that we've talked all offseason about the Georgia schedule. How tough is it really? They're going to be fine. There might be a, a, a bump along the way. Maybe it's, a I, I don't know, maybe it's it's Ole Miss at home. Maybe it's Tennessee on the road. Maybe Joe Milton has the greatest game of his life. Maybe it's against Kentucky a few weeks from now in Athens. But I just bring it up because I just don't see the scenario where this game is close. I mean, for like, if, if Auburn scores, I, I think if they score anything more than 10 points, it's a minor miracle. Like, I'm not even being sarcastic. I, I don't know how they move the ball against this Georgia defense. And I think the defense at Auburn eventually gets worn down. If I had to make a pick, if I had to make a guess, I guess I'd take Georgia minus 14 and a half. This is one I definitely won't be betting. But I just don't know how Auburn even keeps it close. But that line is so fishy, so suspicious. I know I just said it's relatively unheard of to hear of a 14 and a half point favorite on the road in the SEC. But that's exactly what we'll have in Starkville, Mississippi on Saturday night. This is a nine cent. What is it? Nine Eastern, eight central kickoff as Mississippi State hosts Alabama. And listen, there's been so much ink spilled about Alabama. We don't need to spend a ton of time on them. Mississippi State, though, to me is interesting. I have been very critical of Mississippi State, and I'll tell you why. It is because, obviously, look, passing of Mike Leach, we talk, we've talked about it. It's sad. It's awful. No coach should have to take over as Zach Arnett did. Why I bring it up is because Arnett, I thought, made a very poor decision in the offseason. He went away from the air raid for a more balanced offensive kind of attack, okay? I didn't think that made sense because everybody in on the roster was recruited to run the air raid, including Will Rogers, one of the most prolific quarterbacks in all of college football. And I just did not understand what the thought process was to go away from the air raid for a more balanced attack. And so I bring it up because listen, they should have lost to Arizona at home in week two. They got destroyed by LSU in week three. And I give credit to Zach Arnett. They went to the pass game last week at South Carolina. They ended up losing, but it was at least competitive 37 to 30. Will Rogers threw 48 times, 487 yards. They only attempted 23 rushes. I don't know what to make of that, though, against Alabama, because the other thing with Mississippi State, offense is, is, is figuring it out. Are they a passing offense or are they a running offense? The defense has also been terrible. Gave up 37 to South Carolina last week. Obviously, the week before gave up 40-something to LSU. Um this is not a very good defense right now. And so with Alabama, I don't know that I can take them for the 14 and a half on the road. I would have liked the under if it was a little bit higher, but now Mississippi State's throwing the ball all over the field. That is their only chance to even keep this competitive. I don't think they win, but can they keep it close? Alabama, we know, wants to run Jalen Milrow. They don't want to go crazy. They don't want to put up points. This isn't Tua. This isn't Mac Jones. This isn't Bryce Young. And so my hunch my, my, my hunch is Alabama wins, but I think it's a little bit more competitive than people think. I'd probably take Mississippi State plus the points at home, but again, I won't be betting it. It's just, it's just a total stay away to me. Uh, last SEC game of the uh, of the weekend that's worth noting, shout out to uh, Missouri and uh, Vandy. We won't be talking about that one. 
Tennessee is a 12 point favorite at home against South Carolina uh, over under in this one, 63 and a half. No strong opinion on this. Listen, I think South Carolina has fought and they've done the best they can given the schedule. Tennessee though, is just a complete wild card to me. Okay. Tennessee. It, it's so interesting. They have the season that they have last year. Hennon hooker's gone and Tennessee I love Tennessee fans. This is not a criticism of them. I think they know that Joe Milton is not the guy. I think they'd rather use this as a rebuilding year and let Nico, the five-star freshman, just play a bunch of reps. I don't think Nico's ready, though. I mean, Nico's obviously had some appearances, but but you know he's just not a guy that is ready to, to get thrown into the fire. And so you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. Nico did make an appearance last week uh, uh, in the win against UTSA, but I just bring it up because he's not ready, but Joe Milton's not really the answer. And so I, I don't know what Josh Heupel, like I don't know what this season is for Tennessee. The Last year was incredible. It was unbelievable. But it feels like the fan base after that Florida game has already turned on Joe Milton. I don't know if it's fair or not. I'm just telling you how I feel and how I perceive it. I would probably take South Carolina. South Carolina always plays hard under Shane Beamer. South Carolina always competes. But at the same time, Tennessee, of course, took a loss at South Carolina last year. So you know they'll be motivated. No strong opinion on this one. Total stay away to me. Two more games before we get out of here. One, how about this? This is on paper. Maybe the best top 25 matchup that we have this weekend as the Duke Blue Devils. You know who's hosted college game day this week? It ain't Bama. It ain't Georgia. I mean, they're technically on the road, so that makes sense. It ain't uh, Auburn or Kentucky or Colorado. The Duke Blue Devils, currently ranked in the top 20 nationally, are hosting the 11th ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Notre Dame ranked 11, Duke ranked 17. The spread in this game is five and a half. The over-under in this game is set at 52. I will definitely not be betting this game, but a couple things stand out. I, you know, Duke's an interesting team to me. They're a good team. Like, like there's no, it's a little fluky, it's a little this, it's a little that. They beat Clemson. Now, Clemson tripped over its own feet, but then they've proceeded to beat Lafayette by 35, the Northwestern Wildcats by 24, and then a beautiful little school called the UConn Huskies, by 34 last week. They're killing everybody that's not Clemson, okay? But you go back to that Clemson game, they were outplayed, they were beaten, they they were the deserving team, but Clemson just tripped over its own feet time and time and time again. Why I can't bet Duke in this game is because Clemson really did largely outplay them, just Clemson kept fumbling in the red zone. Notre Dame, on the other hand, I think they're more talented but this is their fifth game in five weeks. Remember they played in week zero and I don't know how you recover from last week. Final play of the game. You're in control. One yard line. You get one stop. You beat Ohio state. You're on top of the college football world. Now you got to travel to Duke, a tough physical team. Total, total, total stay away to me. Would not bet that two pack 12 games uh, Friday night. How about this top 25 matchup on Friday night between Utah and Oregon state. Oregon State is actually a three and a half point favorite despite losing last week to the Washington State Cougars. Love me them Cougars, baby. Love those Cougars. But Oregon State is a three and a half point favorite. Utah is really interesting. Defense is elite. 
Offense without Cam Rising still a work in progress. They beat UCLA 14 to 7 last week. And of those 14 points, seven came out of pick six. And remember the Florida game in week one, they won, but it was a very um, you know, Utah struggled to move the ball in that game. My guess is that Oregon State wins and covers. I will not be betting this game. The other one that's interesting to me, late night, Pac-12 network, none of you get it. The Washington Huskies right now are the bell of the ball. They can do no wrong. They are an 18 and a half point favorite at Arizona over under 67 and a half. What I can tell you is a couple of things. Washington is walking into a snake pit there. That game is sold out. It's going to be the best crowd that Arizona has all year. Um, two, you know, Arizona can move the ball. The problem with Arizona is they're, they're, they're dealing with a backup quarterback. Jaden Delora got hurt. Um, I don't know if there's anything official yet on if he'll be able to play or not. But I, I bring it up because this is just one I can't bet because Jaden Delora has been up and down. He's confident. He's not confident. The backup, I think, provides a little bit more stability. He came in last week and was able to get the win against uh, against Stanford. The backup uh, was able to, again, get the win over Stanford. His name's Noah Noah Fita. Fita, Fita. I don't even know how to say his name. Whatever. We're an hour into this show. Fafita. Noah Fafita. Played well. Can't bet this game. Washington, I thought, looked a little bit shaky. Remember, Washington, if they can get through this week, Oregon is also on the road. Both have a bye. And then the following week, how about this? Oregon at Washington. Listen, I, you know, I know I'm not supposed to root for stuff in this business. I hope Oregon wins. I hope Washington wins so that we get a legit top 10 matchup in Seattle two weeks from now. All right, I got to get out of here. This has been a long, uh, fun show previewing week five of college football betting i am aaron torres this is the college football betting podcast if you're not subscribed here please make sure to do so apple spotify amazon music google music wherever you listen to podcasts make sure that you're subscribed make sure to rate and review the show you can give us a quick five star if you could leave a nice little rate a review tell them how great i am how funny i am how quirky i am all that good stuff be greatly appreciated um also the youtube channel college football betting with aaron torres you can find it there and again thank you to our partners DraftKings and DraftKings sportsbook use promo code torres that five dollars after any game this week get 200 thank you again to all of you for listening and